Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Psalm 111 Well, good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, in the back. Can you hear me? Great. All right, we're going to be looking at Psalm 111. And uh, just to give you a heads up, at the end of the sermon, um, I'm going to be passing around a microphone here. I'll be the roving reporter. So I want you to be thinking now about some praises you'd like to share publicly. Please do not be shy. We're all friends and family here, right? So um, we're going to be talking about praise to God. That's what this psalm is about. But I think it would be, uh, in my view, a mistake to not then act upon what we're being told to do in this psalm, all right? So just so you think ahead, be thinking about, I want to praise the Lord for whatever, and I'm going to pass the mic to you, all right? And uh, let's see, a little housekeeping here. It's 10.20. What time do I need to be done? By 11 or 10.55, 11? All right, just want to honor the time and keep you awake. Miracles do happen, you know, so we'll see. We'll see what God does here. All right, so we'll shoot for... Because I want some time to pass the mic around. I don't want to rush that part, okay? So here we are in Psalm 111. And before we begin, I think it'd be good to talk to the author of the psalm. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for breathing out this portion of Scripture. It is very rich, and there's so much to say about it, so much to embrace and then to live out in our lives. But we want to pause and ask for your help. You've helped us uh, so many times in the past. You've bailed us out of all kinds of situations. You've provided for us. Even at times when we didn't ask, you're just that good. And so we want to stop right now and just say thank you and praise the Lord. Holy Spirit, please be active in our midst. And we ask that you would work your 
supernatural life transformation in each of our hearts and minds, all to the glory of God, for our own good and for the blessing of others. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus and Lord, all of your people said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Philip Osborne writes of a picture on the wall of Alex Haley. You probably heard of him. He was a famous author, probably still writing, I'm not sure. But that picture shows a, a turtle sitting on top of a fence post. And when asked about it, Haley said he has that there as a reminder. He says, you know, when I see that turtle on the fence post, it reminds me that that turtle had some help. And I've had a lot of help in my past. And so he's very grateful for the help that he has received from various sources throughout his life. And you know, friends, you and I have received a lot of help from the Lord primarily, right? And if I were to take time, and later on we can share, because I'm going to pass the mic around, I'm sure there's some interesting stories to share where you would say, you know what, I've been the recipient of the Lord's help. So maybe uh, this is current for some of you, or even past history, you've had some tough classes And by the grace of God, you made it through and you graduated. You got that little piece of paper there. And you know it was more than just you because you prayed and God provided. Perhaps he helped you to get a job during a tough time. Perhaps you were struggling spiritually and the Lord gave you a supernatural breakthrough, a time of victory and growth and onward and upward. There are so many possibilities. Maybe he helped you restore a broken relationship. Or maybe he helped you through some challenge to your health. God has helped us in so many ways, and some of them we're not even cognizant of. Now, if asked, I do believe most Christians would acknowledge that. They they would say, you know, I do, I acknowledge, I've received some help from the Lord. In fact, some would say, I don't know where I would be without his help. I don't even want to think about where I might be if I didn't have God's intervention in my life. Well, I do have the holy privilege of sharing at various churches the word of God, and I I take it as a privilege from the Lord. But I've noticed through the years as I go around, I don't see or hear as much of the following. And that is, I want to praise the Lord for whatever. What I'm saying is I don't, it's, it's a rare occurrence when I do hear in the public setting, corporately at least, Praise the Lord. And, you know, it's a command for one thing in the Bible. When we see praise the Lord, especially in the Psalms, these are in the imperatives or commands. But I would want to think that even without the commands, we would want to praise the Lord because he's been that good to us. Now, here's the problem. The Lord is so consistently good like clockwork, we just get into this routine and think this is how it should be and this is how it is. But it doesn't have to be this way. He's been blessing all of us way, way more than this man deserves for sure. And how often do I pause and say, thank you, Lord, for this? Even the things we take for granted, such as three square meals, a roof over our head, etc. God's been that good to us. And it says in the Bible that he inhabits the praises of his people. Somehow he manifests his presence in a heightened way when we gather together and pray, praise him corporately. And so this psalmist, we don't know who he is. It's not David, we don't think. Uh, This psalmist, who is inspired by the Spirit of God, calls us to praise the Lord. And then he's going to turn around, starting in verse 2, and actually start praising the Lord through the rest of the psalm. 
So through his example in this psalm, he's going to teach us by example that we must praise the Lord corporately. You and I must praise the Lord corporately. You say, well, I know that's in the Bible. I see it there. But can you give me some reasons, some motivation? Why should we praise the Lord? Great question. I'm glad you asked it. We're going to see in this text at least three reasons that the author gives us for why we should praise the Lord corporately. And the first one is this. We must praise the Lord for his great, and I do mean great, works. When we think about the things he's done in creation, in our lives, the way he orchestrates situations, and all the wonderful things he does behind the scenes, we got to say, these works are great. Only the Lord can do such a thing. And that's cause for praise, not only privately, but corporately, so that we can encourage one another. Now, if you want to look, we're in uh, Psalm 111, verse 1. And right off the bat, notice what he says there. It's a command. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart, in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Now, Psalm 111 and 112 are closely related. And Pastor Josh, I want to say about three weeks ago, preached on Psalm 112. If you were here, you'll remember. And he pointed out some of the similarities. Both of these psalms uh, are an acrostic. Their structure is based on the Hebrew alphabet. I, I suppose, uh, by way of analogy in English, we could say, when you read verse 1, it would say, A is for apple, etc., etc. B is for banana. C is for cherry. D, I have to think of something quick. Uh, dates. Uh, young people are not talking about that kind of a date. We mean the fruit with the pit in it. Maybe some dates are the pits. I don't know. But nevertheless, you get the idea there. The idea is this acrostic sets up the structure of the psalm. And I think it's a mnemonic device, fancy word for saying a memory aid. They would memorize these psalms because you, everybody, if I were to ask you, you know your alphabet, A, B, C, D. So they would remember the alphabet and also remember the verses which is a pretty clever idea. So that's what we see in Psalm 111 and Psalm 112. And both of these share the same number and length of verses. In fact, there's some very similar phrases in both Psalms. Now, Psalm 111, the Psalm we're looking at now, focuses on God. Psalm 112, as you recall, focused on the man of God. So they're really cousins. These are like bookends, basically. This psalm probably was written after Israel returned from exile. They spent 70 years in Paganville, also known as Babylon. And then they came back in three shifts, if you will. And so we think that this psalm was written around that time. So therefore, it's a post-exilic hymn of praise. Now, again, verse 1 says, notice the command, praise the Lord. The psalmist calls us to praise. And then he proceeds to thank and praise the Lord in in the public uh, area there. He's probably in front of a congregation of some sort. And he recounts Israel's history. He recounts God's provision through the years. In other words, he vows to praise the Lord, and then he fulfills that vow from verses 2 and following. And he wants us and the congregation he was standing in front of, he wanted them to join in with great praise to God. So this psalmist is practicing what he's preaching here in this psalm. So he says, verse 1, notice the wording there, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart, Peterson paraphrases it, with everything I've got. So this is not perfunctory, half-hearted praise. This is genuine, wholehearted praise. The Lord's not interested in just, you know, saying it. 
He wants us to experience it and feel it, and it comes from deep within. Guess why? We are grateful for all that God does for us, just for his patience with us when we mess up all too often. He's worthy of our praise. It's good for us. It's spiritually therapeutic. It's healthy when we praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. Where? In the company of the upright. If you have the NIV, it says in the council of the upright. Or one translation says in front of good men. So this would be probably a smaller group of wise friends who fear the Lord. Probably from the psalmist's congregation. It's a small group, you might say. And then he says after that. In the company of the upright and in the assembly. This refers to a larger group, the congregation, the gathering of those who fear the Lord. And you know, it is easier to praise the Lord when everybody else around you is doing the same thing. And it's a bit more difficult when people are sitting on their hands, if you will. So there's something about throwing another log on the fire that really stokes the flames when we get excited about the Lord and start praising him. And some of us, it's within. It just needs to get out. You need to let it get out. And you need to praise him. And it will encourage others as well. Especially as we get specific and say why I praise the Lord for X, Y, or Z. And so, uh, you know, it's very easy to get apathetic. But when we're in the midst of the assembly who are also praising the Lord, that fires us up and the apathy dissipates. Again, there's something very healthy about praising the Lord. And I believe I am and you are at your best when you are actually engaged in praying and or praising. And the reason is, who are we focused on when we're praying and praising? I'm at my best when I'm tracking with the Lord, when I'm cognizant that I'm in his presence. It's good for me. So notice what happens here. He says in verse 2, because now he's starting to praise the Lord for the rest of the psalm. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. The psalmist begins to praise the Lord corporately here. He's uh, thinking of God's works of creation and God's works of creation. Whether you study astronomy or you get down to microbiology and everything in between, when you really study it and think about it, not only is it exciting, but you discover the great purpose, the great magnitude, the great wisdom, the great power, the great majesty, and the great goodness in all of God's created works. He's awesome. He's the ultimate engineer. He's the engineer's engineer with a big E. He's awesome, and he's wise, and he's good, and he's worthy of our praise. His works are marvelous. And awe-inspiring. And this is why we must praise the Lord for his great works. He says, notice, they are studied, or if you have the NIV, they are pondered. God's great works are meditated upon. This implies some time and some intention, right? By whom? By all who delight in them. You see, prayerful meditation upon God's great works uh, does something for us. It brings delight to the soul, and it stirs up praise. And once you get that joy of discovery, learning something new, a new avenue has opened up to you as to what God has created, it's incredible, and you want more. Now, back about 100 years ago, there used to be a potato chip commercial, Jay's Potato Chips. Anybody ever hear that? I am all alone up here. Jay's Potato Chips. The slogan was, Jay's Potato Chips. Once you taste one, you can't stop eating them. 
And so that's how this is. Once you taste and see how good the Lord is and how awesome he is, you can't stop. And you want to dig in and learn more about God. And he expands your horizon and he staggers the imagination. They are studied by all who delight in them. So shouldn't we be praising the Lord when we think about all the awesome things he's done? Look at verse 3. He says in verse 3, Splendid and majestic is his work. And his righteousness endures forever. Wow. Wow. One scholar says the word righteousness refers to God's orderly rule over creation, his victorious rule over the nations, and his redemption of his own. Time and time again, God God had spared and redeemed and extended mercy to Israel. He does that to us today. And uh, when we see God in in an act of redemption, it reveals something about him. One of the things that he points out here is his righteousness. This God is righteous through and through. Now, God has a number of attributes, some of which are incommunicable, meaning they're unique to him. We cannot share in them. And then others are communicable, meaning we can share in them. Be ye holy as I am holy. In a relative way, we can live a holy life. Righteousness is another one. We can live a righteous life. Now, if you look at Psalm 112, this is the psalm that Pastor Josh preached He's talking about the righteous here. Notice verse 1. He says, praise the Lord, just like Psalm 111. But then he describes the righteous person. Verse 3, wealth and riches are in his house. And his, this is a human being, those who follow the Lord. His righteousness endures forever. Really? Human beings can have righteousness that endures forever? Yes. But this is derivative of God's righteousness. So, the idolater who worships fervently his or her idols, becomes a lot like that idol. So it stands to reason if we worship our God from the heart, our minds are saturated with him, our wills are inclined toward him, uh, our hearts are in love with him, it seems to me that we're going to become more like our God and become more righteous. And one scholar, I like how he puts it, he says, that which is righteous is eternal. Be it manifested in the acts of an unchanging God or in the acts of a dying man. So God's attribute of righteousness will never end. God's not corrupt. There's no crooked scales with him. He's not a judge that can be bribed. God is righteous, was righteous, and always will be righteous. And brothers and sisters, we should praise the Lord for that. It could be otherwise, but it's not. This God is righteous. And he loves righteousness. And especially when we see what's going on in our world today and in our culture. uh, It does me good to know that this righteous one is still on the throne. Cognizant of everything. In full control of everything. Nothing's missing his gaze. He sees it all. He He can tell you what's coming in the future. We don't even know. And he loves righteousness. And we have been wired in such a way that we love righteousness when we're in our right minds. And we don't like injustice and things that are corrupt and crooked. Notice verse 4. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Literally, it reads, a remembrance he made for his wonderful works. So here the psalmist is recounting Israel's history, God's provision. Um, He goes through the Passover event. We can't cover all these. If we had time, we would turn to all these. 
He talks about the exodus from Egypt, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, God's provision during the wilderness. Remember they were complaining in the wilderness? You know, we miss Egypt. We miss all the hamburgers, hot dogs, and all the cool things. And now what do we get here? Manna. That's how we get every day. Manna, manna, manna. Same menu. Don't have to reprint it. Grumble, 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 grumble. And still, uh, it says in Deuteronomy, Moses looking at their history says, you know, for 40 years you have been lacking nothing. Oh, you've complained for 40 years, but God met all your needs, even in the wilderness. You've had cattle for sacrifices. You've had manna. You've had quail sent down from heaven. And and still God was patient with them. Now, the original witnesses to all God's miracles in the wilderness, you know, through the Red Sea and all those various miracles, they were wowed, to put it mildly, by the things they saw. And they were not soon to forget those things. On the other hand, they had a younger generation coming up, and they made sure that they took time to teach them these things. And there were various festivals and memorials instituted to Pass on this knowledge. Today, we have the Lord's Supper, which has a connection with the Passover meal. And we celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly so that we will remember what Jesus did for us, his great works of redemption. And that's, that's healthy. And a part of that is, remember, Jesus prayed over the bread, and he gave thanks, it says, right, during the Passover meal. That part is what we need to focus on here, and that is, yes, the tradition's being passed on by means of proclamation, but then what should be my response? Do I just sit there and observe, like looking at a statue? Or should I respond with thanks and praise wholeheartedly, from my heart, with all I got, as that paraphrase goes? You see, the Lord knows our waywardness, and he knows we tend to forget, my memory is leaky, maybe yours is too, But God is gracious and compassionate. In fact, that's what he said. Look at verse 4. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. The psalmist here is alluding to the Lord's self-description on Mount Sinai. If you want the verses, we won't turn. But Exodus 34, if you want to write it down, Exodus 34, verses 4 and 6. There the Lord says, I am compassionate and gracious. And when we see God in action and see his great works, they put the spotlight on him and we say, you know what? He is compassionate. He is gracious, and look at how patient he has been with me. Now, since this eternal one does not change, rehearsing his gracious and compassionate works is cause for praise, and it gives us hope for the future. Because since God has been excellent in the past and in the present, and he doesn't change, that means he's going to be Excellent, gracious, merciful, etc., all the way into the future. In other words, brother, sister, your future is secure in Jesus because you are eternally linked to somebody who happens to be holy through and through, good, righteous, patient, compassionate, and all of those awesome adjectives. He doesn't change, and I'm glad about that. Because if he changed, he's, he's perfect, he'd probably have to change for the worse, right? For imperfection of some kind. So that right there is why the psalmist says in verse 1, you see it there? I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. We must praise the Lord for his great works. The psalmist says, notice verse 5, he has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. Now, 
when God does all of these wonderful miracles with Moses and company, he's really acting on promises he made to Moses' predecessors, i.e. the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Remember, he made a bunch of promises to them. Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant. So now he's making good on his promise, as he always does. When God says something, you can take it to the bank. Better than that, he's better than the banks because banks can fold. God will never fold. He will always follow through, right? And so when he's sending quail from the sky or manna on the ground in the morning, he's basically living out the promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what the psalmist is praising God for. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness here in keeping your promises. Now, this is to those who fear him. Verse 10, we'll talk about the fear of the Lord there when we get there. But here's the point I want to make. Think about it. Was Israel on their best behavior when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years? They didn't look too good, did they? Complain, complain, complain. Grumble, grumble, grumble. But still God fed them, didn't he? So the logic is, if he's going to feed those who are basically rebelling against him, won't he not also feed Moses and Arab, uh, Aaron, I should say, and uh, Caleb, for example? You think of the ones that we could say that these are righteous men. We, we have accounts of them in the text. And uh, these men live for the Lord. Joshua is another example. These are the ones who feared the Lord. So if you fear the Lord... God has you covered. Now, don't hear me to say that if you fear the Lord, God's going to give you seven, what's your favorite car? Seven Cadillacs, one for each day of the week, all different colors, your preference, you name it, leather seats. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God, for sure, I know this, provides for his children. And our problem is often we're not even cognizant of the ways in which he provides for us. So I think a really good prayer would be something like this, and that is, Lord, please open my eyes afresh to see the power of your great works on my behalf. Lord, you're so good. I know you're active in my life. I'm just blind to it because I just assume this is how it's supposed to be. Could you give me a fresh vision, a fresh glimpse, a fresh appreciation of all the awesome things you do for me every day? And not only that, Lord, you're watching over me even as I sleep at night. I have nothing in my wallet that guarantees me. There's no certificate with a seal on it that says, guaranteed, you will wake up in the morning. I don't have that. Do you have that? Check your purse. Check your wallet. Anybody got a certificate that says, I will wake up tomorrow for sure? Anybody? We're in his hands 24-7. And he's so good, he watches over us even while we sleep. He says, look at verse 6, in giving them the heritage of the nations. If you want the verse, it's Exodus 34, 10 and 11. There you'll see that the Lord empowered his people to actually overtake the Canaanites, these pagans who were in the land, worshiping all kinds of idols and demons and you name it. And he allowed his people to get into the promised land. And so the power of the Lord provided for his homeless people, his wandering people, to have finally a home base. This is their base of operations where they're supposed to go out and share the good news. Now, this would have been an encouraging reminder. Remember, this was written during the time of the exile in Babylon. For those reading this rehearsal of Israel's history, they go, wow, look how good God was. He brought us from Egypt out of slavery, gave us a home, and now we're in this pagan land. We're going to go back again. This is awesome. Praise the Lord. Look at how good he is. And so they are praising him for his great works. That's what this psalmist is doing. 
Now, I want to go back. We went to verse 2. I want to look at it one more time with you and make one point. Look at verse 2, because this is really the point here. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Now, this verse, verse 2, is inscribed on the oak door entrance to the Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge, England. You say, well, why is that a big deal? Well, they put that up there intentionally to give glory to God because in Cavendish, a lot of cool things happened. One of which is back in the late 50s, I believe it was, um, the scientists there discovered the structure of this thing called DNA. Now, we know what DNA is today. I don't know a whole lot about it, but it was discovered right there. This is uh, looking at God's creation, having that joy of discovery and delighting in what they found out. So what is DNA? I'm going to read a quote here because I am not an expert in DNA. This is from Ian Mernigan. He says, DNA is important in terms of our genetic code in the sense that it transfers genetic messages to all of the cells in your body. If you think about DNA in a reproductive sense, your first cell provided your completed genetic code that your body would use for all of your life. With that initial cell, half of your chromosomes containing your DNA came from your father and half came from your mother. The functions of DNA are vital for inheritance, coding for proteins and the genetic blueprint of life. Given the enormity of DNA's functions in the human body and its responsibility for the growth and maintenance of life, it is not surprising that the discovery of DNA has led to such a great number of developments in treating disease. Praise the Lord for that. DNA holds the instructions for an organism's development and reproduction, ultimately its survival. I'm no way an expert in that field, but I know this. The more you dig in and find out about the code and how God has programmed us in advance, you have to give God praise for his great works. Creation is awesome. Who could have thought it up except God? And we are just unearthing what God has already deposited on this earth how many years ago, right? That's part of what science does. Good science is unearthing uh, the things that God has brought together. He's the creator. So brothers and sisters, we must praise the Lord for his great works. Think about it. He has the power to defeat our enemies, to restore relationships, to overcome personal challenges that we often go through. And also, above all else, he has the power to make you and me more like his son, Jesus Christ. These are only a few of the great works of God that are worthy of praise. He is worthy of praise. And so, what's the point? We must praise the Lord, how? Corporately. Well, what are the reasons for doing such? Well, we've seen one already. We must praise the Lord for his great works. Here's another. We must praise the Lord for his sure word. We must praise the Lord for his sure word. Look with me at verse 7. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. In other words, God's acts are faithful. They promote justice according to his precepts. Or you can look at the NIV. It says there they are trustworthy. So as Moses stood on the sure foundation of that mountain, Mount Sinai, the Lord gave Moses his sure word. And his word will surely stand because it's based on a sure foundation. What is that foundation? It's not the mountain. It's the character of God. The immaculate, pristine, sinless character, the holy character 
of our great God. God's unchanging character. In fact, God's sure word reveals his nature so that you and I can somehow, in a limited way, reflect his nature. When we get a glimpse of his righteousness, we can then see what that's like and reflect that by his Spirit's enabling and by his grace working in our lives. He says, verse 7, all of his precepts are sure. So, brothers and sisters, we must praise the Lord for his sure word. He goes on to talk about the precepts. Verse 8, he says... They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. So his precepts are upheld by God. Here he's expanding the meaning, not just the Mount Sinai uh, Ten Commandments, but all of his word. In other words, the Lord is faithful to his sure word. And if we embrace it by faith, if we take these words by faith and incorporate them into our lives, he will bring them to fruition, because he's the one holding up his sure word, if you want to look at it that way. And so in verse 8, it says they are performed in truth and uprightness, falseness, unrighteousness, injustice, those will be done away with. All sin has a termination date. On the other hand, when you think about it on the positive side, truth, uprightness, and justice are sure, and they will endure for how long? A million years? A billion? A trillion? Forever, right? Why? Because they are an integral part of the Lord's, notice, eternal character. And so we can praise the Lord for his sure word. It's surer than the ground we stand on, because we could have an earthquake even in the Midwest. I've been out in an earthquake, by the way. I was in a large, uh, I guess you'd call it a warehouse with a cement floor. And during the earthquake, I don't know what was going on, except I saw everything shaking on the shelves. And I saw a ripple, almost like liquid, go through that cement floor. I thought, wow, the one thing I've been sure of all my life since I was able to walk is the ground is under me. Now I'm not so sure. God is surer than the ground you walk on. Even this earth dissolves. He's still there. He predates this earth. He predates the physical realm. He predates time. He is sure and his word is sure. So we must praise him for a sure word. Look at verse 9. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. So he sends redemption to Israel. That includes the exodus out of Egypt. That includes them uh, finally leaving the exile in Babylon and everything in between. And you know what? That shows how faithful he is and how powerful his word is because he fulfills it. So he ordains his covenant, and in this case here, that would be uh, the law he gives in Sinai. He decreed that his covenant should always endure. And why? Because he's awesome. Because he's holy. The author of the book is the most excellent being in the universe. Do you know him? You can get to know him through the book. This is him saying, here's what I'm like. Come get to know me. I want you to know me. Why is it you don't know me? Come, I've got many treasures for you, many good things. I can make a better you. I've got a vision for who you should be. This is the God we're talking about. He's holy and he's awesome. And so my challenge to you would be to search the word for some of the Lord's sure promises. Take some time, maybe this week, pray about it, and look for some of the promises of God. You pick them. And then I'd like you to maybe write those down and attempt to memorize those, however that works for you. For me, I just tape them on my mirror. I'm shaving. I'm a captive audience for about a half hour. 
So I've got those verses right there. I'll just go through them phrase by phrase. But beyond memorizing them and getting them up here, the idea is to embrace them by faith and to rest on them and then to praise the Lord in advance by faith for how he's going to fulfill these awesome promises because he's as good as his word. Reverse it. His word is as good as him. He stands behind it and he is sure and so his word is sure. We should praise him. The point? We must praise the Lord corporately. Why? Because of his great works. Because of his sure word. And there's one more. And that is because of the Lord's wise will. Look at me. Look with me at verse 10. This is the last verse. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom, right? A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So what is the fear of the Lord? It's a heightened sense of reverence for God's character. Uh, It's not so much, as one scholar puts it, it's not the slavish fear of a criminal before a judge, but the loving and reverential fear of a child for his parents. The fear of the Lord is the principal part or the foundation of wisdom. What is wisdom? One scholar says it's skillful living. It's making the right decisions in the right context, biblical decisions that have no regret, but have only good and growth and fruit. A good understanding of all those who do his commandments. You have the NIV, it says, all who follow his precepts. Where is God's wise will revealed most clearly? On television, in the comic books, or in the book you hold in your hand? The inspired word of God, right? If you want to know him and have wisdom, you need to know the book. But let me just say right off the bat, dear friends, it's not just about accumulation of Bible information. So in other words, you can get an A in the Bible class. You can get an A in the theology class. That does not necessarily guarantee that you have acquired wisdom. Trust me, I know, I'm a professor. You can get an A and still lack wisdom. You can accumulate knowledge but not know what to do with that knowledge. In this situation, I got all these facts. How do I plug them in? I don't know. That's a lack of wisdom. Wisdom is actually taking the knowledge you have and using it to God's glory. Uh, Years ago, theology was referred to as the queen of sciences. The view being that all knowledge comes from the word of God, from God himself. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher from a past generation, says this. To know God so as to walk aright before him is the greatest of all the applied sciences. You see, wisdom always manifests itself in obedience to God's wise will. So if you want to know if I have wisdom, you've got to see something in my life that would suggest I do, right? Not just Bible knowledge, and I'm all for Bible knowledge. Put another way, one scholar says, spiritual understanding is not produced solely by learning facts or procedures, but rather it depends on obedience to known truth. Obedience to God's known will develops discernment, or we might say, wisdom. So there is such a thing as bumper sticker wisdom. What I'm talking about is eternal wisdom that helps you get through life's challenges, that helps you navigate the world and challenges in in a biblical way. Now, what does wisdom look like? I'm just going to give you the verses and challenge you to look it up. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. If you want to write that down. James 3, 13 through 18, 
Um, you may want to look that over and do a personal inventory. How am I doing on wisdom? It has some things that are not wisdom and then things that are wisdom, and you can see how you're doing there. Finally, verse 10, he says, His praise endures forever. If you have the NIV, it says, To him belongs eternal praise. I wish we had time, but we don't. I'd take you to God's throne room in Revelation 4 and 5, and there you see people praising the Lord. Your permanent job, dear friends, if you want to call it a job, is to praise the Lord through all eternity. There's one thing we will never stop doing. I'm going to be unemployed as a preacher. You won't need preachers in heaven. Worship leaders, yes, but not preachers. But all of us will be praising the Lord. And if you were to go there, you can check it out later, Revelation 4 and 5, you'll see people praising the Lord. This psalmist begins in verse 1 with praise the Lord. The point We must praise the Lord corporately. Now, after we've just seen what's in this text, we would be remiss not to praise the Lord. So I'm going to pass around the mic here. Uh, Let's see. There we go. It should be green in a moment. And just raise your hand, and uh, we'll take maybe about five minutes or so, and just say, I'd like to praise the Lord for whatever. You give him glory, okay? So who'd like to start? Anybody? Otherwise, I'm going to sing a solo, and we're all going to clear out of here in a hurry. I sing between the notes. It's not sharp or flat. It's something in between those two. So, there we go. Thanks. Some of you may know this information already, but I'd love to share it just because, once again, we've been praising the Lord for uh, about six days now. Um, We're in the adoption process, and we've known about a little girl for almost exactly one year. Um, And just this week, we've been waiting for a phone call to find out when we can go travel to Thailand to meet her. And we just found out this week that that will be on September 14th is the day we'll meet our daughter. And we'll, we'll fly out five days, uh, five weeks from today. So um, we have been praising the Lord all week for that news and um, just preparing our hearts and the, and the Lord as he prepares hers uh, to be a part of our family. So Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Isn't that encouraging? All right, somebody else. All right. You're making it easy on me. I don't have to run that far. There you go. How you doing, Larry? Should be on. Green light. So it's on now. Okay. Um, excuse me. I just want to praise the Lord that He can be there. He is real, even when you don't feel Him. It's not dependent on feelings. Yeah. It's dependent on fact. And then you can just praise the Lord and have the joy then. That's great. Praise God. All right, somebody else. All right, go right ahead. A few weeks ago, I had um, surgery on both my knees. And uh, when I went into it, I was told I'm too old. And they really didn't want to do it. But I had such faith that everything was going to be just beautiful. And it was. And when I went home, I thought, I'm good enough to go home alone, and they don't need to worry about me. But God decided I did need help. (laughs) A a black cloud came over me that I could not control. I could not think a happy thought. I thought of only the saddest things in my life. And I, I lost all my faith and control and everything. And I th- it, that was then that I could feel the prayers of this church mm. lifting me up. And praise God, 
I'm better today. Praise the Lord. Amen. Do we have time for one more? All right, we'll take one more in the back. You'll probably get there before I do. I'm not the best jogger, so. All right. I just want to praise God for all he's done for me in the past two and a half years. And he, seemed, he said he would take care of me, and he has. And we have such a wonderful church and so many wonderful people. Amen. And thank, oh, thank him so much, and thank all of you for all you've done. It's been marvelous. He's been awesome, and he helps me to see things now that I overlooked before and see all the beauty he's done, everything he's created. Amen. It's just amazing. So I just love him so much, and I love this church so much. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, we, we need to close in prayer. I'm going to pray for us, and then we have some worship. We're not done yet, but uh, uh, I'm going to sing with the mic off because I believe in mercy. So let's pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, what an awesome testimony we've heard from these brothers and sisters, and I wish we had time for more. You know what's in our hearts, Lord, and I pray this would overflow and continue. It is good to give you thanks and praise. You are awesome. The psalmist is right, Lord. We do need to praise you in small groups and large groups because you're worthy of that and much, much more. And so, Lord, help us all to be a living hallelujah as we go around everywhere and put in a good word for you, even with those that don't know you, to prompt them to think how great you are. And now, Lord, we continue to give you praise as we sing. May you receive it as our worship from our hearts. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and the whole congregation said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.